thank you, uh, worship team, for leading us this morning. It's good to be together, good to be back. Uh, I was uh, away, been away, um, uh, well, I was here two weeks ago, and then last week we had intended, we kind of sent out in our weekly, said, hey, we're going to be back in Acts, jumping back into it, um, come ready to go. And then uh, my family, if, um, if you were here last week, know that we uh, had COVID in our house, like uh, so many of our um, uh, friends, family, different uh, people that you know, I know it's just kind of everywhere right now. And so super thankful for Pastor Jeff and jumping in, and uh, really thankful for his preaching over the last couple weeks, and just um, especially last week, uh, last minute, um, and and the word and message that he was able to bring us from Matthew, and uh, but excited to, I'm excited to be back. Thank you for your prayers and checking in. We had kind of best case scenario. It was really not that bad. So it kind of passed through our whole house. Um, Bree somehow did not ever actually get it. I don't know. Um, she just has like super immunity or something, but all the kids had it, and, um, and we are all doing just fine right now. So I'm so excited to be back and back in the pulpit and preaching. It's been a few weeks since I've um, been uh, here and preaching, and so we are getting back into our series uh, in the book of Acts. So if you have a um, copy of scripture, uh, I'd encourage you to pull that out. Again, if you don't have one, you can find one underneath one of the seats in front of you. Um, we gave out, and I think there's still some available if you want. If you're going to be like here and, and want to stick with us, um, we're going to be walking through the book of Acts, and we have some scripture journals um, back there at the Connection Center. You can certainly grab um, one of those if you'd like to uh, have that. As you're finding it, I just want to make one quick special announcement if I could, before we get into uh, God's word this morning. And that is this. Um, coming up uh, in uh, this spring, in April, uh, the dates are actually April 22nd through the 24th, uh, there is an event. It's called Weekend to Remember. It's a, kind of a marriage getaway. It's a marriage retreat. And uh, I just want to make you aware of this opportunity. So for those of you um, that are married, uh, this would be a great opportunity for you to consider. If I could just tell you a little bit about what it is that you um, would be signing up for if you were to do it. Um, it is, uh, starts on a Friday night, uh, goes all day Saturday, and then um, uh, I think it ends around noon on Sunday. And it is here in Middleton, um, uh, like close by local. Um, so it's at the Crown Plaza in, in Middleton. And so um, you can certainly stay there at the hotel if you kind of want the whole getaway experience. If you have kids, I would like pro tip, kind of recommend that. Um, it's not very much of a getaway to kind of go to a conference, come home to <laughs> children or that kind of thing. So uh, you may want to do that, uh, but you certainly don't have to, and, and you could um, just go and attend um, that. But here's, here's kind of my selling uh, point on it, is um, years ago when uh, Bree and I first were married, um, uh, we've been married 16 years now, so I think it was year one, year two, something like that, somebody had gifted us uh, the opportunity to go to one of these, and I was just honesty in church, totally transparent. I was not excited about it. I was like, I, I love Brie. I love our marriage. Want to, you know, do everything to kind of work on it. But a whole weekend of like talking about our feelings and kind of time together and all that, I was like, no way. Um, I, I, so I was really, really not super pumped about it. But all that said is it actually ended up being just a really, really good thing for us and gave um, a lot of space, a lot of direction for some really good conversations, uh, for some time together, and um, really helped lay for us a very solid foundation. Um, and so thankful, so much so that we actually went back. We've been to a couple of them uh, since then. And so um, these, uh, the way that these things go, if you've ever been to something like this, they can kind of make or break based on um, how good the speakers are. And a couple years ago, we actually, there was one that came to Madison. And so we said, hey, we're going to go. And some of you went, some, we had some people in the church that went and you came back and you said, yeah, it was helpful, but it was like, eh, okay. Um, I don't know who the speakers are, so I can just say this freely. It wasn't like, they were kind of like less impressed with some of the speakers. So here's, here's the thing that really I'm excited about for this and why we're talking about this one is the speakers that are coming to this one are really good friends of Bree and I. They have been for years. That was actually the conference we went to was the one that they were teaching. And um, we've known them for years. Actually, last um, couple years ago, we were trying to get them up here. The plan was to have them come and do a marriage and a parenting conference um, here at City on a Hill uh, pre-pandemic. And so, but then COVID happened and everything kind of shut down and that still would we'd like to do that. But I saw them over Thanksgiving and they said, hey, we're gonna be in Madison, we're coming, we're speaking. And I was like, well, I wasn't planning on um, kind of having this on our agenda, but if you guys are coming, we for sure need to. So they are just solid. They're gonna do a great job. Their names are Ray and Robin McKelvey and they are um, 
really dear, good friends of uh, Bree and I. So here's why I want to bring it up now. I know it's still a ways out, but if you register here in the next um, week or so, January 24th, it's 50% off the registration. I think the cost is $175 per person, so you'd, get, you'd both register for $175. Um, if you don't know and you just can't sign up now, I think if you use this code, the City on a Hill MSN, um, I think that'll still get you $100 off like later. So it's not like the end of the world if you absolutely can't. Um, that being said, if the cost is what would keep you from going, um, I think we have a couple of free um, attendances that we can uh, give, um, and, uh, and, and, and I'm sure we could kind of do something, scholarship help uh, with that. This is how much we are for it, want to see healthy marriages in our church, and so I would just really, really encourage you uh, to be a part of it. So I guess it's going to be kind of like a singles party that um, I'll be here, but that Sunday, because um, everyone will be gone, all the couples will be gone. And, and there, but that's, uh, that's going to be good. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of my pitch. That's my, um, my, my um, hope. And so if you're at all considering, I would encourage you to do it. It should be a really, really good uh, time. One more thing that's uh, worth saying, if you are engaged, um, that is also an option for you. They do have some kind of breakouts or some things kind of geared for engaged couples. The hotel thing, not so much. Can't do that. But um, we would uh, love to have you go as well. And so um, if you uh, are, again, have any questions about that, you can find more information by going to the website. We have some details on our website. Um, or Bree or myself um, would love to share, kind of give our experience and, and sort of what it is. So husbands... I just removed your biggest excuse. Like, I just don't want to do it. It's not going to be, trust me, it's, it's going to be worth it. And um, you'll, it'll pay dividends um, for a long time uh, to come. So that is, that is that. Well, hey, let's turn our attention to God's word now. And uh, if you brought your Bible, hopefully you're there. Uh, we're jumping back, as I said, into the book of Acts. We're calling the series Unstoppable. And uh, the book of Acts, just by way of reminder, kind of refresher, it's been a while, right? It was last November is when we were in Acts before, so we kind of paused for our Advent series and had a couple other weeks in there, but just kind of a way of reminder of what the book of Acts is. It's a very unique book in the, book of, in, in the, the, the books that we have in the Bible, but it serves a really unique function. It tells the story and the narrative of how the church of Jesus Christ began. It begins when Jesus ascends after his resurrection, he ascends into heaven, and he gave his followers a mission. He said, you will be my witnesses, right? He said to go and go to Jerusalem, go to Judea, go to Samaria, go to the ends of the earth and tell people, anyone who will listen, of who I am, what I have done, and my uh, gift of salvation that I've given to the world. He says, carry the gospel, right, to the, to the corners of the earth. And this is what the book of Acts says. And it's really unique because without it, I've kind of asked the question of myself, like, well, man, if we didn't have the book of Acts, what would be missing? Um, we'd have a huge hole in our understanding of how the church actually came to be because we have the, the gospels, which overlap. You have these four accounts of the life of Christ, and there's kind of overlapping stories and accounts in that. And then you have all these letters, or they're called epistles, written to the church. But you're like, how do we get from here to there? Right? Like, if all you had was these letters, you're like, well, where, where did this church come from? And how did it form? And, and, and what, what was the method by which it... And so Acts tells that story. And it's a really helpful book for us to look at because it's a reminder of who we are as a church, what we're called to do, because we're still given. Like, things haven't changed. In the 2,000 years since, things have not changed. We're still on the same mission. We have the same marching orders. We have the same um, objective together as a church. And certainly things look different, but there's so much that is still the same. And so I think this is a fantastic book for us to be, especially at this moment in time. Uh, I've kind of come to describe this, this kind of time period that we're in, this season that we're in. It feels like, I don't know if you can relate to this, it feels like we're kind of in this endless waiting room. Right? Like we, we're just waiting for what's next, but we have no idea how long we're going to be waiting. We don't even know what it's going to look like on the other side, but we're kind of in this holding pattern. And all of us, I think, would just as soon fast forward through this part, right? Can we just skip this and get to what's next? Uh, but we're kind of here. But the, the, the thing is, is that I think we need something to invest in. We need something that's going to carry us through. We can't just wait. 
And if you were here a year ago, uh, Ed Stetzer was with us and he preached. And I think one of the things that he said in that is, is the moment we're in does not pause the mission that we are on. And we are still on mission. We are still called to these things. And so I think this is a perfect passage. This is a perfect book for us to be in together as a church because this gives us something to sink our teeth into. I don't know about you, but I want something to invest in. I want something that's going to carry me through this time. And I think what we need is a healthy reminder together as a church that we are still on mission. We are still following our Savior. We still have a gospel to bring. We still have hope that we can offer. We are still witnesses to Jesus and who he is and what he's done in our lives. Right? And so none of that have changed. And so even though so many things look different right now, there's so much that is still the same and we are still called to do this maybe now more than ever. There are so many people that are looking for hope, that are isolated, that are alone, that are in despair, that are questioning things, that have lost, that are hurting. And we carry with us the witness of who Jesus Christ is and the hope that he offers and that he holds out. And so that is what we are called to be and about as a church. And so I'm excited to jump back into the book of Acts the church has begun, it has begun to spread. And if you remember back to November, there's been some opposition, some attack from outside, and then there's been some opposition from within. This morning, we're gonna see there's more opposition coming from inside the church. But what this is gonna be a huge reminder for us is, is what our priorities are as a church. Like, what are we called to? What's the important things that we need to be about? And it's really important that we know and under, identify some of our priorities you see, I think you've probably figured this out like I have, is that if the important things don't just seem to happen, right? You kind of have to go after the things that you really want to get done. Um, I've shared before, we have a number of projects around our house, and if I don't prioritize those, they don't just, like, they don't just happen. And so we had some family coming, and, and it kind of served as a good, uh, <laughs> kind of a good marker, a good kind of finish line, like, oh, man, before family comes, we need to, um, you know, knock out some of these projects. And so I was working on kind of fixing out, changing out some of our old, outdated, some of them were not working great, light fixtures around our house. And I think the most discouraging part to Bree was how quickly those projects actually go when you start doing them. She's like, wait, I've been waiting three years for you to do that? That took like no time at all. And I had to kind of, you know, make my excuses and be like, well, you know, to be fair, I put in some can lights. I'm like, that technology was not there four years ago. LED has come a long ways in the last four years, okay? So they legitimately didn't make them like this. It would have been harder then. So it's good that we waited, right? Like it's, I was, that's, that's me just kind of grasping at whatever I could. But here's the thing. If I don't prioritize that, if I don't put it on the calendar and kind of do the things that need to be done, it's not going to get done. So we're calling the sermon in the series, First Things First. You've heard the expression. We understand what it means. But the first things, the priority things, they have to come first. If we don't, they're not going to get done. So I guess the question we want to ask today as a church is what are the first things that God has called us to? What are the priorities that he's laid out for us? And how do we make sure that we keep the first things the first things? How do we pursue the things that he's called us to and not get distracted by things that matter less or get off course God's word has some very helpful truths for us to look at this morning. We're going to see four lessons around the priorities of the church that come straight from this early church. We're going to see this picture of their priorities and what they were about. It's going to be super helpful for us. Before we go any further, let me just pray. Let's just ask that God teaches us now as we look at his word together. God, we thank you for your word. We recognize and we understand, we acknowledge that this is from you God, you've given us this as instruction for the church today, for our lives. It has real, meaningful application, impact for us. And so, Lord, I ask for your help now. Spirit, I ask that you would be leading us, teaching us, showing us what it is that you have for us here. God, we want to hear from you. We want to learn from you. We want to lean into all that you have for us. And so together, uh, we... Um, we want to do that now. And so we ask that you would show us from your word, God, what you have for us this morning. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. We're in Acts chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Let me read that first verse, and then as we like to do, we're just going to kind of walk our way through these verses together. Uh, it says this, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number... 
A complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. All right, here's, I said we have four lessons. Here's the first lesson. It's this, is that problems will arise. In the church, we seek to prioritize problems will arise. It says there, in these days, kind of a reminder of what days that were, they were seeing tremendous growth within the church. Right? How many times have we come across a, a sentence, um, seems like every couple paragraphs, it says, and the Lord added to their number, right? And the disciples increased, and it was being multiplied, and there was more that began to follow Jesus, and this is what is happening here. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, so the church is growing by thousands. There are now thousands and thousands of followers of Jesus. And one thing that I've figured out, and you've probably seen too, is that more people equals more problems, Right? Like more people is more problems. We all have kind of our problems and our things that we bring and you just kind of bring more people together, there's more problems. This is true just about anywhere. This is certainly true in the church, but this is true in your business, your workplace. As it grows, as there's more people hired, more people on staff, there's probably more problems. If you are a part of a family that is growing or you've uh, added, maybe there's been some, some, some siblings or some, uh, your brothers, sisters that have married and now there's like, more relationships and more, like as families grow, there's more problems, more complexity, more places for problems to arise. Here's the reality is, the truth is this, is that problems will arise. And we're speaking specifically about the church. So these are not just a crowd of people. These are disciples. The followers of Jesus are increasing and now there is more problems. And a complaint arose. What's the complaint? Well, it came from the Hellenists. And if your Bible's like mine, it has that little note. You can kind of look down at the bottom of your page and it says the Greek-speaking Jews. So the Hellenists are Jews, but they speak Greek, like either as their only or kind of primary language, not really versed in other languages. So the Hellenists, the Greek-speaking Jews, had a complaint against the Hebrews. These would have been Aramaic-speaking Jews, probably spoke both Greek and Aramaic. What's the complaint? The Hellenist widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. There was food and there was resources and there was care that was being handed out. You see, widows were pretty limited in their ability to provide. They didn't have a, a huge standing in society. And so um, they had come up with these systems to be able to care for the widows. And so it looks like daily uh, there was a distribution, food was given out, supplies were given out, help was being given. And somehow the Hellenists, those that were speaking Greek, those widows were being overlooked. And so other Greek-speaking Jews came and they were like, hey, what's going on? Like, what gives? Like, this, is not, uh, this isn't working well. Um, because the Hebrew uh, widows, the Aramaic-speaking widows, are getting preferential treatment, there seems to be something lacking. And we don't have any more details other than that. We just know that there is a problem uh, within the church. Now, let's just kind of pause there for a second, and let me just um, kind of say, I'm encouraged by the fact that the early church had problems too. Do you ever feel that way when you see people that seemingly have it together, right? Systems, organizations, people, whatever it might be, families. And then you see like, oh, they have problems too. It's kind of like affirming. You're like, it's not just me. <laughs> I'm not like kind of the broken one. Um, you know, every once in a while, we have kind of like a sound pop uh, here in our services. If you've ever heard that, like the sound will just kind of like fade out or die out. We have no idea why that is. We're trying to figure that out. I hear it too. Um, but years ago, I was so encouraged. I was watching the Super Bowl. Do you remember when the power went out for like a few minutes? That was fantastic. I think all the pastors were at home seeing like, see, like the Super Bowl, like if there's one event that's been planned for and that they like have everything in place and everything ready to go and then the power goes out, how many pastors were like so like, oh yeah, like see, even they have problems. And so it's so affirming to know that like even if it's all together, that it's still there. So here's where I'm kind of encouraged by like just the reminder that the church has problems. And so let's just kind of like, let's just be honest about that. Like we've had problems. We've walked through some problems together as a church in our short history. And here's the reality of the situation is that there are currently problems. I'm probably more keenly aware of any of them than you are. There's probably some I don't know of, but trust me, I could give you a list of all the things that I'd love to see grow or fixed or kind of worked on or whatever. It's kind of my nature too. I'm like, my wife loves it. You know, I'm just super, <laughs> super good at like picking out and finding kind of what, what needs to be improved upon. 
But here's the truth is that as we go forward, there's going to be more problems coming. And so if you're here at City on a Hill and you have found your way to, and this is your church, and you're like, man, I finally found a place that doesn't have problems, I just want to burst that little bubble. Let's just get that over with. That is not the case, okay? We have people, so therefore we have problems. I think this is a good reminder for us. Sometimes we are so caught off guard, so surprised. We're like, what? There's a problem? Like, what are we supposed to do? So the goal of the church is not to never have problems. The goal of the church is to walk through the problems as they come up. So problems in the church are normal. What we do with the problems is so, so key. So, so key. What did they do? What we're gonna see is... um, They brought this to the leadership, right? A complaint was brought, so they brought it to the leadership and they said, hey, this is going on. The leadership, it says in verse two, the 12 summoned together the full number of disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, and we will appoint them to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Notice what's not in there. There's not a deflection. They're not trying to explain the problem away or say that it doesn't exist. The leadership is willing to acknowledge that there was a problem. But the thing that's so key in it is notice that there was grace all around. You don't get the sense that the leadership was standing up. The apostles, the 12, were like pointing fingers and saying, it's your fault, it's their fault, it's her fault, it's his fault. And you also don't get the sense that everybody is so like worked up that they're just angry and upset and I'm leaving and I'm out of here. Like They're just kind of working through it. There's grace. How good it is when the church is able to dwell together in unity and actually express the same grace that God himself has shown to us. This is the picture of what we've been called to do. And then they try to figure out, like, let's get to a solution. Let's work through the problem. Again, this is so good. And so how do we apply this? Like, what's the thing that we need to remember in this? Understanding that problems will arise. Here's where I think you and I need to apply this most acutely, is that we need to be on guard of the ways that the enemy could use our suspicion of one another to bring division in the church, in our relationships, in our family. We need to be on guard that the enemy could use our suspicion So to be sure, there was already a suspicion between these two groups of people. The Hellenists, the Greek-speaking Jews, thought that the Hebrews were sort of archaic and traditionalists and a little stuck in their ways. The Hebrews, generally speaking, thought that the Hellenists were like too progressive and too compromised. They weren't uh, as pure as, as kind of the, the Aramaic-speaking Jews. And so there was already kind of a suspicion between these two groups of people, culturally speaking. Well, that had seeped its way into the church. And so in some level, there was probably this suspicion of each other of why is this happening? Do they not want us here? The Hellenists are thinking, like, are they, is this their way of getting us out? They're just not going to care for our widows? And so we need to figure out a different way? There was probably separate meetings that were happening, right? They don't speak the same language. So there was probably multiple meetings, and so they're, they're kind of isolated from each other. There was some logistical things that were contributing to this. But isn't this the case that it is with you and I? Sometimes, sometimes when, with each other, if there's space, we fill it with suspicion. If you haven't been with somebody for a while, if you haven't talked to them, something happens, and then you sort of assume the worst. You're like, oh, did they do that because of this? And then you kind of like fill it in. You just keep going down that road. All of a sudden, you're like super ramped up and super worried about that, and they don't even have a clue. Has this ever happened in your marriage? Those of you that are married, you need to go to a weekend getaway and get this figured out, right? Um, Has this ever happened to you where your spouse does something, and you're like super frustrated with them, and they are totally clueless? You've been fighting with them for like three days, and you're like, why did they do that? And then you bring it up, and then you're like, oh, I didn't even know. I had no idea. You see, we need to be on guard because the enemy is so good at tearing us apart, especially within the church. We need to be on guard that we don't grow suspicious of one another and allow those problems to fester into something that would divide us. It would have been so dangerous to the church if this would have gone unaddressed, right? If they would have just sat in their suspicion. People would have ended up being hurt. They would have ended up leaving. They would have ended up uncared for, right? What are we called to do in our hurt in our problems. We're called to go to the person. 
if you've, and over the years in ministry, I've, I've been, you know, pastor for a long time, and so over the years, people have brought to me different issues about, hey, so-and-so kind of did this, or this sort of happened with them. The first thing I usually ask is, um, well, what did they say when you talked to them about the problem? And sometimes I'm met with the response of, well, I didn't talk to them about the problem, to which I always say, well, then why are you talking to me about the problem? Go talk to them. If it's with them, go talk to them. Like what, it's just, you, you go figure it out. See, we need to get to this place that we actually have conversations, work through it, and kind of walk through that together. If you talk to them and there's still an issue or something, then yeah, seek some other help. Come to the leadership or do something. We want to lean into that, but let's not start there. Let's start by engaging in this together. So there was this complaint and it was brought to the leadership. Clearly it wasn't being worked out and so they needed some help in this. And so this problem arose. Let's not be caught off guard. Again, we are going to walk through problems. This year, there's gonna be some problems. Next year, there's gonna be problems. Guess what? A couple years from now, still more problems. But we can walk through it together. Let's acknowledge, let's prayerfully consider, let's address it, let's work through it together. Let's show grace in that. Nobody's claiming to be perfect. I'm certainly not. I hope you're not. And so let's engage in those problems as they come. That's the first lesson that we see. Let me give you the second. I already read this uh, next couple of verses, but let's go back and look at it again because we're gonna see this, this second lesson right here in this. Verse two, again, it says, and the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples together and they said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to go serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from you among, among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, and we will appoint them to this duty but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Here's the second lesson that we see is that priorities must remain. Problems will arise, but these problems cannot take away from the priorities. They must remain. The 12, as Luke uses this term here in the book of Acts, this is not really used much outside of the gospels or outside of the book of Acts, but here we see the 12. This is referring to the 12 apostles, they were the disciples of Jesus, minus Judas, plus Matthias, right? And they are now leading the church. And so the 12 summoned together the full number of disciples. I have no idea how they did this, but they called together the church. They gathered it probably in waves or groups or leaders or however they did it. But they, they got together the disciples and they said, listen, this is not good that this is happening, but it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. They're like, we don't wanna leave this problem unaddressed, but we can't stop doing what God has called us to do. Our priority is preaching the word of God. And so we cannot stop doing that to serve tables. So here's what we're gonna do. You need to find seven men of character, right? Of good repute. They're gonna be full of the spirit. They're gonna be full of wisdom. And we're gonna give this duty, we're gonna delegate to them this task to take care of the distribution of the food and to make sure that people are not getting overlooked, that everyone is being cared for, that there is administration and systems and things in place to kind of make the ministry happen. Why? So that we can continue to preach the word and devote ourselves to the prayers. Do you see that? We're gonna devote ourselves to the prayer and to the ministry of the word. So they acknowledge the problem, they emphasized the priorities and then presented this solution. In doing it, we are reminded of the two greatest priorities of the church. I would say this, the two greatest things that the church is called to do is the ministry of the word and devotion to prayer. These are two of the greatest things. Why? Well, if you think about it, what are the two greatest gifts that God has given to the church? The word of God and the spirit of God. The word of God is his written authoritative, inerrant, instructive word for our life, for our church. It is a gift from the Lord. He's given it to us. The other greatest gift, and even greater, I would say, is his spirit. It's the spirit of God. And so you see that the church exists and, and is engaging in, with the spirit in prayer. They're going to the Lord. They're praying in the spirit, praying for the spirit to be leading and teaching and, 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 and working and powerfully moving. And so that's why they're devoting themselves to the prayer and to the ministry of the word, which again is, is kind of common sense. Like if the two greatest gifts of the to the church are the word of God and the, and the spirit of God, then 
why would we not start there? Like, let's use the things, let's utilize the gifts that God has given us, and then we can kind of start branching out into all these other things. But you see here that there is not an underemphasizing or sort of a taking away of the physical ministry of the church. They're saying it's just as important. Like, these tables need to be served. The widows need to receive their help. We need to distribute the food and the resources and the things that we have, but we cannot take away from the spiritual ministry of the church that exists in his word and in the prayers. Let's just, by way of reminder, why is it so important that we engage in the preaching of God's word and the ministry of the word? Well, I'd love to just remind us, or maybe for some of you, this is instruction, but of what the word of God is. It has so much impact and bearing on our life. The word of God declares itself to be several things. Maybe you want to write some of these down. And I apologize, I don't have them on the screen, but they're, they're, you can write down the, the heading and then you can write down the reference. But we see the word of God as this, it's It's fire. Jeremiah 5.14 says, Thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, because you have spoken this word, behold, I am making my words in your mouth a fire, and the people would, and the fire shall consume them. It spreads, and it works, and it, it overcomes, and it consumes. The word of God is like a fire. It says that the word of God is a sword, Hebrews 4.12. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of the soul and the spirit and of joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. It can pierce through our intentions and our thoughts. It can penetrate where we need to be and we need to hear from the Lord. The word of God has a way of, of getting in there and kind of working its way into every crevice of our soul. It's like a hammer. Jeremiah 23, 29 says, is not my word like a fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. What's this rock that's being broken? Well, so many times we harden our heart, we harden ourselves to the Lord. And the word of God often is like a hammer which breaks us apart. Sometimes we need to be broken. Our hardened hearts are not soft and malleable, are not willing to be led by the Lord, and so we need the word of God to break us down. This doesn't have to be the case. He calls us to soften our hearts on our own, right? To be sensitive to the Spirit's leading. Psalm 95, 7 and 8. Uh, Psalm 95, verses 7 and 8 says, For he is our God, and we are his people, the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. As at Merib and on the day of Messiah in the wilderness. He's like reminding them. He's like, hey, you don't have to harden your heart. You can soften your heart. You don't need the word of God to break you like a rock. But it will, if it needs to. The word of God is like a seed. 1 Peter 1.23, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Sometimes it's as simple as a verse, maybe even some of the verses that we read or heard today, that it can, it can be planted in our hearts, can grow up and spring up like a seed, giving life to the different areas and parts of our heart. It's like milk. It feeds us as infants, 1 Peter 2, 2, like newborn infants long for the spiritual, pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. In the same way that infants need milk to grow, to develop, we too need milk. But it doesn't stay as milk, we move on to meat. Hebrews 5, 12 and 14, for although this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature and those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Some of you have been walking with the Lord for a long time and you need to dig deeper. You need to go more deeper into the things of God. And there's meat for you there. You need to think about the riches of who he is and all that he is accomplishing and all that he's called you to. There is meat for you in his word and you're still on the milk, the word of God is, is also like a meat. Some of us are confused. We're unsure of what to do. This is where we are reminded with the encouragement the word of God is a light. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It shows us what our next step is. It illuminates the path in the darkness. Sometimes you've experienced that. You need to hear from the Lord. You need to, God, what am I to do? And then you open up his scripture and it's plain as day. It's right there, like a flashlight shining on the path. You're like, I know what God is calling me to do right now. 
His word is like this. It's a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. There's more that we could say, but let me just give you one more. It's like a mirror. James 1, 23, 25. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his face, his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. It's like a mirror. So many times we sit under, we hear the word of God spoken, preached. We read it, we open it on our own, and we, like a mirror, are confronted with who we are and what God is calling us to do and to respond to. And we need that. We need to look and to see and to go and to do. And God uses his word to do all of this. See, it is so important that we place ourselves under the authority of God's word to hear from God and the word that he's given us. And so this time, we need this weekly gathering, this this hearing of, of God's word, that it might bring conviction in our life, that it might bring encouragement and a challenge and a hope, that it might build up and instruct The ministry of the word is so important within the church. And so we have to have this as a priority. But similarly speaking, if if we only have the ministry of the word, we are like a plane trying to fly with one wing. Like the second wing is the devotion to prayer. A plane is not gonna get too far if there's only one wing involved, right? And if you've ever seen a church uh, kind of spiraling and it doesn't seem like they're going, going too many places, my guess is they're either missing the ministry of the word or the ministry of the prayer, one thing is missing. So prayer is when we come and we, we, we approach the Lord and we converse with him, we, we talk to him, we hear from him, we, we bring to him everything that we would desire to be led in and to be encouraged by and, and he's able to, to meet with us in that place. Prayer is where we experience the presence of God. And listen, church, would we be about the presence of God long before we are about the programs of the church? Would it never be so of us that we are about programs and, and, and processes and, and people before the presence of who God is and, and being with him? And he's invited us into this in prayer. And so as pastors, as elders, as leaders in the church, these are the first priorities that we are called to. My role as the pastor here at this church is to be invested into the word of God and to be praying for us and for our church. That is the primary calling. Let me be totally transparent is that sometimes there are so many things that vie for my attention and take it away. But I need to be reminded, this is a reminder to me that for me to sit down and spend my time in prayer is something that is the most valuable thing that I can do for this church. But there are so many things that take away. So many good things, so many needed things that can distract and can detract from that. See, I don't ever get the sense that the apostles, the 12, were unwilling to serve tables. They just said that this is not right. It's not good. Why? Because it takes away from the priority. It's not that the physical ministry of the church was important. In fact, the opposite is true. That physical ministry of the church was so important that it couldn't go unattended. They needed people in place to run with it. And it's not because they didn't care about what happened. Again, they cared so much that they wanted to make sure that it did not continue. They needed to address it, but they had to put the first things first, the ministry of the word, the prayers, and so many good things can get in the way of the best things, and so we need to be careful in that as a church. How do we do that? How do we do that? Well, that's where the third lesson comes in. Let me give it to you, and then I'll show it to you in scripture. The third lesson is this, is that proper leadership is essential. Proper leadership within the church is essential. What do they do? Well, they find some leaders to oversee and to Uh, work with this ministry, this important ministry. Look at verse six. I'm sorry, verse five. And they said, what they said, it pleased the whole gathering. And they chose these men. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, who was a proselyte of Antioch. And they sat before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. They were given the authority to execute the ministry that needed to happen. That's what this laying on of hands is. You see, notice the character matters, right? These were men, it says in verse four, that they were full of the spirit and full of wisdom. They were of good repute. They had shown themselves, proved themselves to be faithful. And so they were entrusted with this physical ministry within the church. Now it's interesting 
So many times I think we, we look at different parts of the church and we think that certain things are more valuable than others or this part of the ministry is, is kind of better. Um, well, Stephen, uh, we're gonna learn more about Stephen, but clearly he grows in his ministry of the word. Like he's preaching a sermon next time we see Stephen, okay? Um, and then Philip, we're gonna see Philip goes and he evangelizes, like he takes the gospel to where it has not yet gone. And so two of these men um, were being introduced to and we're gonna see that it started with serving tables, but God does so much more with that through them. It begins here in being faithful with these things that, that more is entrusted to them, but they are put in place and, and authority is given to handle these things. What the 12 were doing is they were entrusting these men to do what needed to be done to properly care for the church. And this is very much the place that we are in as a church here today. We have some very real leadership and ministry needs within our church within City on a Hill. Um, I feel like a broken record, so I apologize if I feel like that to you too. But I'd like to be a reminder, and we were talking about this as, as, at our members meeting, is that we were two years old as a church. Our church is four years old, just over four, four and a half. And we were two years old when the pandemic began. So we were just kind of at the place that we were establishing some of these systems and processes and, and leadership models and all that. And then everything had to like go online and stop. And it was like... It was kind of, you know, everything just kind of screeched to a halt. And then we're trying to like restart the engine, you know, kind of get going again. And it feels like every time we do, there's like new hurdles and new kind of obstacles and that. And so what's happened is there's sort of like this stunted growth in some of the leadership and the systems and the processes. Like as a church, there's tons of things that are way further ahead at four or four and a half years that you would expect for a church. And then other things that are like so far behind. It's like, do you guys have that? Well, not yet. Like we've kind of been on hold. We've been waiting, Right. We can't wait any longer. We've got to get leaders in place. We have to delegate for ministry. We have to hand off different areas and parts and pieces of the ministry. Why? Because if it doesn't, it's going to take away from the ministry of the word. It's going to take away from the prayers and it's going to limit the impact that we can have, the gospel impact that we can have here in this community and what God has called us to. Jeff so aptly preached from Matthew last week. We saw... Um, the parable of the stewards, we have been entrusted as a church to steward certain gifts and certain things at this time and in this way. And those that are faithful with little, much will be given. We have been given the opportunity to steward the things that God has called us to. And if we are faithful with it, I believe this, that God will give us more. But he won't give us more than we can handle in that sense of, of he's not gonna kind of give us more that we're just gonna drop and fumble and he's, he's kind of waiting on us. He's like, hey, listen, if you can get these things together, if you can trust me and follow my plan and my, my, uh, the instruction I've given, and so we need to do this. We're at this place that we are identifying, we are finding faithful men, faithful women who can pick up the mantle of leadership and of ministry here in this church and run and take it to the next level. There are things that we want to grow in. We want to develop our kids' ministry even further than it is. We want to establish and grow our student ministry. We want to see our ministry in the community and outside these walls like multiplied exponentially. We have so many opportunities in front of us. There are so many things that God is doing. I shared about some of those opportunities with our members meeting. I'm going to share more as we kind of carry on. But I believe this is that God is leading us into some things together as a church and we need to focus on being prepared for that in terms of our leadership and our execution and our deployment in this. And this is gonna be something we're gonna begin this year. It'll probably take us years to really establish as the culture of our church, but we want to be a leader-developing, leader-equipping church. And hear what I say and what I mean by that. I don't just mean like, you know, kind of leadership tips and tricks that you can carry with you into the world. What I'm saying is leadership in terms of discipleship. Like how do you lead others to the Lord? How do you help others grow in their walk with Jesus? How do you, how do you bring the word of God to bear upon people's lives? How do you encourage those who are in despair? How do you help those who are hurting? We wanna grow in our leadership with one another in that. And we want that to be a central piece and a central part of our culture. So many times, maybe you've seen it, I certainly have seen it, we've been guilty of it here, is that there's a need that arises in the church. It's a hole, so to speak, that needs to be filled. And so you look around and you find who's the most qualified person and you say, hey, can you jump into this role? Can you fill this hole? And they do, 
and then you kind of wait till the next hole comes up before you find another leader. We want to stop that, okay? We're going to stop that cycle. No more doing that. What we want to do is we want to develop leaders, like ahead of time, all the time, that we are discipling and maturing. That's our vision. We want to see the lost saved. We want to see the saved matured, and then the matured multiplied. And so if this excites you, hopefully it does, and you're ready to be a part of this, we would just invite you to, to, to in, engage with that. Like if there's some ministry that God has been kind of preparing you for, there's parts or things that you're like, man, I would love to do that. We want you doing that too. I believe this because God's word has clearly said it, that each one of you, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have been uniquely equipped for the ministry in the church. There is a gift that God has instilled in you, his spirit has given you, that is to be used for the building up of the body. And nothing, if you've ever used that gift, nothing is more exciting than when that gift is actively being used and applied. My vision, my desire is this, that we would see every person that's a part of this church engaged in meaningful ministry within the church. Not just like, you know, serving a need or plugging a hole, like done with that. Like meaningful ministry, are you using your gifts? Are you impacting people? Are you ministering in a way that brings long, even eternal, lasting change in the lives of people? This is the picture that God has for us. This is what they were doing. These men were using their administrative gifts to make sure tables were being served so that needs were being met and the word of God was being preached and prayers were being administered and led. See, all of them had a role to play. It all contributes to it. Like a very practical example of this is sometimes when it snows, like we need to like ramp up our snow team. Like, you know, I'm not above. I actually like shoveling and snow blowing. But it would be very easy for me to spend time like cleaning up snow when there's lots of you that maybe you love that and you, you want to come clean up snow. If you do, talk to me today, okay? We got more snow coming. All right, this is just at the start, right? And so that, like, how, how bad would it be if, like, my time in God's word and my ability to prep for Sunday is hampered because I'm outside cleaning up snow? Again, I love cleaning up snow. Hear, hear me say, I'm not, I'm not above it. It's not, uh, that's not it at all. It's just like, I shouldn't be doing that as much as I would like to. There are so many things that can take away from, and so what we need to do is we need to give authority to execute and to go and to run this race and, 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 and engage in meaningful ministry together. And here's the last lesson that we are reminded of. It's this, is that the progress that comes as a result is a work of God. The progress is a work of God. We might have all the systems, all the structures, all the people in the right places, but if anything is gonna be accomplished that has any lasting value, that matters for eternity, it is a work of God himself. Acts 6, 7 it says, and the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Notice what happens. They continue to preach the word of God and what happens? The word of God increases and the number of disciples is multiplied. More and more people are reached with the hope and the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the point that even priests, right, who are serving in the temple the most devoted, dedicated leaders of the Jewish faith are now giving their life to Jesus as Messiah. They are following Jesus as their Savior and their Messiah. This is the work of God. Listen, church, if we are the ones who are laboring, if we are the ones who are doing it, we are doing it all in vain. God must build his church. God must establish his work here. And any lasting impact is going to be because of him and what he has done and his work in the hearts and lives and the souls of people. And so the good reminder for us, last thing we want to do is we want to we don't want to walk away from this and be like, yeah, we just got to get everything, like all our ducks in a row. Some of you like type A are like all about this. You're like, "Yes. We got systems, we got structures, we got to do lists, we got like people doing stuff." You're like like that fires you up. You're all about that. Here's the thing. We might have all the to-do lists and we might check every box on it. But if it's all our doing and our leading and our things, it's going to value is there's like nothing that's going to last. It needs to be God who is accomplishing his work here. So we want to be led by the Spirit. We want to go where he's leading us. We want to do the ministry that he's called us to. And we don't even want to do it in our own strength. How encouraging is that? We are so limited in what you and I can do, 
But if we work according to the strength of the Spirit, if we allow Him to work through us, if we're just merely His vessel, like the impact that we can have for the gospel and on people around us is unfathomable. I mean, it's so much more than we could imagine. The impact of what God wants to do. And that doesn't always, like hear me say, that doesn't always mean bigger, better, like more flash, more bang, not that. But I'm talking about deeper, real, lasting impact. The mission that God has called us to is to be his witnesses here in Fitchburg, in Madison, in Dane County, and beyond. Like we are called to give witness and testimony to who Jesus Christ is and what he's accomplished in our life. And if you're at all interested in that, if you're at all like, I want to be a part of that, then I hope that you invest and engage in that. Like we have a place for you. We want to find the spot that you have been uniquely wired for, that you can serve and do that. It might take us a while. There might be some problems along the road, right? See point one. Like there might be some problems. We're not going to get it right all the time, but that's the direction that we're going after. And I don't know about you, but that fires me up. Like, let's go after it. Let's do something that lasts. Let's, let's give ourselves to something that matters because there's so much, if we're honest, there's so much that we can spend our time and our energy on that isn't going to last past our lifetime, let alone through the end of the week. This is something that's going to last for eternity and God has invited us into it. He wants to do something in us before through us and so let's allow him to do that in us. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the story that you're writing in our lives. God, the story that you're writing here in this church. God, how good you are that you would invite us and allow us to be a part of it. God, I just ask for a fresh wind of encouragement in our lives and our hearts this morning. God, there's so much that we can be discouraged or distracted by right now. And the enemy would love nothing more than for us to do that, just to make it through another day, make it through another week. But God, you've invited us into so much more than that. God, you have saved us in our sinful state. Lord, you have breathed life into our dead hearts. And God, you have placed us on mission with you on a mission that matters for eternity. And so God, give us an awareness, God, an excitement around what you're doing and what you've called us to. And God, I pray that you would accomplish all that you would desire here in this church. God, we don't know how many days we have, but we wanna give every one of them to you. And so I pray that you would help us to do this together as a church. God, would you accomplish this work? Would you do it? We know that we... We don't do this, you do this. And so we ask this in the name of your son, Jesus, according to his strength, his might, amen.